Ben, I'm the promo guy, coming at you from New York City. Today is Wednesday, August 2nd, but you'll be listening to this Thursday at the earliest. Welcome to the 15th episode of the Promo Guy Podcast. I am, as always, joined by Nick from Blue Duck Media. Nick, how you doing today? I'm good, I'm good. I'm excited about today's show. I, we're recording on a Wednesday for the first time in a while, so we're a day earlier in the week. We've got uh, some good stuff planned for today. I'm excited for today's show. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm... You know, Wednesday is kind of my like chiller day because, you know, I work pretty hard on Saturdays and Sundays and Tuesdays thing or Tuesday. So Wednesday, like I kind of let myself chill a little bit. There's usually uh, a few less baseball games, especially this time of year. Uh, I've been working on some of the fantasy stuff, but I got rudely interrupted and wasn't able to have like a peaceful Wednesday thanks to us moving this podcast a day up. So thank you. Hank. Today ended up being busy because I had to get the stuff done earlier, and now we have the podcast today. But I'm still in a good mood because I get to talk to you for the next hour. Yeah, thank. Let's thank Hank real quick for messing up everyone's schedule. Uh, does a light Wednesday mean you're usually playing pickup hoops on Wednesdays? I usually find a way to play pickup hoops on Wednesdays. Yeah, if I, if I don't have a game, uh, I had a game Monday this week, and then Dinger Tuesday, Tuesday. So. Uh, Maybe I'll, maybe I'll play a little bit later, although, you know, having the podcast today throws it off. Maybe I'll find some time tomorrow. But I've been playing a lot recently, to be honest. You have or haven't? I have. You know, I, I have the game once a week, and then I'm probably playing two or three other days. Like, I played once this past weekend. I usually find, like, another day during the week. So I usually get, like, three days a weekend, kind of at least. Love that. Excited Excited to get on the court with you next time I'm in New York. Um, but let's dive in. What do we got? Stay the stack. Yeah, pretty good week, actually. Uh, I, was, I kind of forgot that we were having a good week everywhere just because yesterday wasn't so great. But I was looking back at it, and really the big thing, I mean, DraftKings, you go through, you know, golf win here, or uh, the, the big win was the front on DraftKings was the USA Portugal under one and a half to hit for, what was it, plus 530, I think it was. So that kind of pays for, you know, like five of the other DraftKings bets. So overall, I think we netted up a little bit on DraftKings, although we did lose to the MLB once, but overall, that was somewhat irrelevant. And then FanDuel, we lost like the WNBA by one play, whatever, but we hit both FanDuel boosts, one being plus 300, one being plus 120. That, especially at this time of year, really is sort of the carrier of any week when you, when you hit both of those, especially at the higher maxes relative to the other promos for the most part. So a good week on Twitter. Uh, Caesars, and then just sort of what people were giving. I think the FanDuel only gave two boosts this week. So that's a little disappointing. Obviously, it's par for the course these days and should be coming to an end soon. I'm happy they came with two strong boosts for UFC uh, and you know it still kind of shows that when there are events to be bet on they're still willing to throw some ammo at it we had a ton of promos for for UFC in general there was barstool ones which we did well in the discord with there was I mean basically every book book uh, MGM we in the discord we hit the MGM UFC parlay I'm pretty sure we hit a bunch of MGM this week on a book that's been kind of so-so so that was very good, but every book really had UFC stuff, and we had a good night with it, led by the FanDuel boost in general. So that's all good to see. Dinger Tuesday, limited group for the eighth time in nine weeks, made money on the 
home runs alone, which is incredible, especially if you consider that the one week that lost, like seven weeks ago or something, only lost $12 that week. So every week we've been up when you factor in the, the free bets, at least in the last nine weeks. The Unlimited didn't do quite as well. It was sort of a cool off for them after, after a really nice stretch as well, as I've been saying basically every week. So they lost $170 and pick up $145 in free bets. I really hope that we can do a good job converting those free bets so that it sort of makes up back at least most of that 170. Maybe we can get lucky and uh, and make it all back. But that's really the the state of stack, the update. It's it's finally August. College football is this month. NFL preseason. Uh, so things should start ticking back up. But it was nice to see. I think that the biggest takeaway is that for all, not that I was ever worried, but for people that were worried about, oh, the booster going away and this and that. When UFC came for just a regular decent night i mean i know it was like a, a bigger fight and we had the boxing match that night too there were multiple boosts there were plenty of promos things felt a little bit more normal like for for a night so we have a lot to look forward to uh in the next month or two yeah love to see promos getting active for fight night and excited for football season to see it really in full swing yeah especially when they win it's nice <laughs> yeah no, no complaints um, all right, let's keep it moving. Uh, we've got a fun gambling landscape update today. Uh, let's hear what's going on and uh, what you got for us. Yeah, we weren't really sure where to put this, but we thought it'd be fun to talk about, which was the Iowa kicker. So there's this whole investigation. I think it started with Iowa State, and now it's sort of trickled into Iowa as well, where all these college football players are basically getting caught for gambling on their own games. The funniest one was the Iowa kicker. It might have been the backup kicker I'm now hearing. Uh, bet on the Iowa-Iowa State game under, which Reese Davis, which for a guy who's like on college game day, commentates some of the games, I thought it was a pretty like edgy, funny comment, said, to be fair, this isn't really gambling. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have to tweet up. To be fair, this isn't really gambling. This is risk-free invested betting on the Iowa Iowa State under, which is a hilarious comic because Iowa can't score. Uh, but they, they, their defense was good. So all their games were basically going under, at least for the first half of the year. So anyway, uh, what did you think about this? Well, that's news to me that it might be the backup kicker. If it's the backup kicker, we've got a whole different conversation. Now. No, it's the same conversation. Because if it's the backup kicker, it's a guy who who is – upset that he is not kicking and is like the guy ahead of me sucks i know he sucks and so i'm betting against him if this is the starting kicker now all of a sudden we have a guy sabotaging his own team i honestly have always thought the guys that are getting suspended for betting on their own team to win i understand you can't have players gambling but there's a huge difference between Calvin Ridley betting that the Falcons are going to win a game and being like, I think I am going to win and betting on yourself versus someone who is a, your starting kicker missing kicks on purpose. That really affects the integrity of the game. I agree. And I, I actually don't think it's extremely relevant if he's the backup or the starter. Maybe Hank can figure it out for us while we're talking. But it's only because there is a theoretical chance that he could have an impact on the over-under in the game. And because he bet the under, it means that he's not betting on 
that he could be in a situation where he could tank the bet, right? Where he could affect the outcome of a game so that his bet wins. That goes against every competitive principle in sports, in collegiate sports, in betting, like whatever. It's a huge integrity issue, a a conflict of interest, even if he would, you know, even if he made every kick he had in that game. And so that's sort of the worst way to look at it. The best way, which isn't much better, is that he saw how awful his team was in practice in the first few weeks. And he's like, yeah, there's no way we're going to score that many points. But look at our defense. There's no way they're going to score that many points either. I need this money. I'm taking the under. So, you know, uh, I think that I think that it's it's pretty brutal. I think these guys should actually get punished relatively severely, whether that's I mean, I'm all for, again, like you said, the Calvin Ridley example is just not that big a deal. Uh, it's even less of a big deal for a guy to be betting on other sports, like on the Lions practice facility, you know, gambling. Like we've, I've compared it to marijuana a lot in the sense that, like, you know, we're just a little delayed here, but it's it's legalizing across the country and de- being destigmatized. And some of our rules are just sort of late on that. But as far as betting goes... You can't bet on your own games. Specifically, you can't bet on something where you could tank the bet. And it's it's uh, it's something that should be whether it's scholarships, whether it's kicked off the team. Like uh, I don't know the exact the exact punishment, suspensions, but it should be pretty severe. We we can't be having this run rampant. We've already seen like the the baseball coach at Alabama, like all those issues. Uh, I think that somebody needs to get some control over this situation. Yeah, I mean, I fully agree. The comparison to the Lions situation, it, it's night and day. Someone betting on their own events uh, just goes against everything. And there's, it, it's tough. I, I don't even know if this guy is still playing. So how do you punish him if he's no longer a kicker and he's no longer at the University of Iowa? Um, seems like That's he a may- good point. Uh, yeah, I, 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 don't know. I don't know the exactly what can be done. But it's obviously something that's that's getting a little bit out of hand. I know that there was also I think the, the first headline came, it was the Iowa State quarterback that had been like his average wager size was like seven dollars and sixty four cents. And that's where it's like and you're I'm always gonna be more forgiving of a kid than I am of a pro athlete getting paid millions of dollars, but this is part of that don't be stupid test, right? Mm-hmm. You, you want to avoid getting trouble. You want to whatever. Like, don't, don't go making bets on your mom's account. Come on, <laughs> we're better than this. I think my big takeaway is that nil money for kickers might need to be bumped up a bit. If we've got seven dollar average, I, I'm not unit shaming, but if we've got guys all team, <laughs> they're out here trying to placing seven dollar average bet. Just don't risk it all for a seven dollar negative EV bet. Come on, it just doesn't seem worth it. <laughs> Uh, okay. Anyway, should we get to the uh, the big thought here? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I think we're going to try and place a couple of plus EV football plays here. I think this week you're kicking it off. You're going to go college football. I'll go NFL. What do you got? Yeah. So plus EV, again, in this term now, I make it a little looser. I view it as an advantage play. It's not necessarily plus EV by my normal definition, which is it looks good versus other books. Although... You know, there's always line shopping being done here. Uh, I know last week's play, the Texas A&M play, it was up 
Uh, probably up until around maybe like 30 minutes into the episode being posted. I did post it into the Discord. I always do feel weird about, oh, you already pay for my picks. You follow me on Twitter. You know, maybe you were following me on the Action app and now we're doing like the pick. Like whatever. Like you have to follow me on all these platforms. But that's not enough. You can't get my play unless you also listen to the podcast, right? Like that's sort of an uncomfortable thing for me. That being said, I think it's a really good outlet on the podcast to, and I hope it stays up for people that can can do it. And I, I do try and give people who are early listening to the podcast a bit of a chance before the lines move. But I do think it's a good chance to sort of hear me out here. I'm thinking maybe a fun bet to, to root for or against. Maybe you can find the line still up, like whatever. So I think it's a fun segment to do anyway. Anyway, my pick is a really weird one this week. But I kind of love it. So here's what I got. It's a two-part play. It's the first part. Uh, oh, I guess I should do a unit thing for this. I will do uh, just off my head, like whatever. It'll be close enough. Uh, one unit on Caesars. On the Miami Hurricanes under four and a half conference wins at minus 130. Then call it, I don't know, let's say three quarters of a unit on... Can be books. So that would be Bet Rivers, Unibet, Sugar House, like any of those books that you have. And if you don't, DraftKings is, is not too far below it. Uh, over seven and a half wins on the season at plus 125. And DraftKings at plus 120 if you need to, to go a step lower. So essentially, at the plus 125 versus the minus 130 prices, you have essentially a 50 50 bet of. Are you going to win both or are you going to lose both? And, and most of the time, it'll probably just split. So what do I mean? So if we have the under-conference wins play and the over-total wins plays, what we're really betting on is, is it more likely for the Miami Hurricanes to go over 7.5 total but lose but go 4-4 four and four or worse in conference or is it more likely for them to go better than four and four in conference, but but end up below seven and a half, right? And I'm, I'm essentially calling the plus 125 minus 130 equal. So where does that bring me to? It brings me to Miami's non-conference schedule first, because we are trying to say, if we're, if we're assuming that, that Miami is going to get four or five conference wins, we'll make it simple. They're either going to get four or they're going to get five. So if they get four conference wins, that means we won our, our, our under-conference total bet, and they would need to win four out-of-conference games to win both, right? That scenario, that means, so are they, are they like, what are their chances of getting four non-conference wins? Okay, let's look at their schedule. I view them, a little background on the Canes, was it two years ago, they had pretty high expectations. Derek King gets hurt early. Well, actually, he had gotten hurt the previous year. Came back. They got beat up by Alabama, Michigan State. He goes down. Tyler Van Dyke, freshman, comes in. And they close out the year 5-1. Um, and one. They beat Pitt on the road, who won the ACC. It was top 15 team. They beat NC State, who was a ranked team. So they had a really strong finish to 2021. But their only loss being... Uh, kind of a miracle loss, basically, to Florida State on the road. Then the next year, come back in with high expectations because they had the most freshman snaps played the year before, and they had finished the year so strong. Tyler Van Dyke was getting preseason Heisman hype, all that. They changed the coaching staff. They spent a billion dollars on a staff, 
and it was a disaster. They end up five and seven. I think it was the first time not making a bowl game since 06 or 07, something like that. And they still bring back most of that really highly touted freshman class that did so well two years ago. They, they dealt with a lot of injuries last year, obviously, but it was just sort of a disaster in total. And I view them as one of the most volatile teams in the country, partially because they have this highly recruited class that did so well as freshmen. Then their whole team struggled so much as sophomores. They have a top seven, I think it is, transfer portal class. They have a they have new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. So they're a very volatile team, uh, suffice to say. And if we look at their non-conference game, so I, I don't feel comfortable enough saying over or under. I think that they're they're too volatile for me to guess. But Here's their non-conference schedule. Miami of Ohio, they're you know, three-score favorites in that game at home. Texas A&M at home, which they are six-and-a-half-point underdogs. Bethune-Cookman, who they're not going to lose to. <laughs> uh, is it like an FCS team? I'm sure they're like 50-point favorites. And then at Temple, who they'll be big favorites against. So if we get four conference wins... Our chances of going 4-0, I just used like the, the FPI number and then I, I put it a little bit lower to adjust to their over-under win total. And it was about 25% to 30%. Now, is that more likely or is it more likely the scenario where Miami gets five conference wins and they actually, so then they, they have to lose two non-conference games. So to me, it's going to be really hard for them to lose two non-conference games, especially in a world where they where they pulled off five conference wins. And I'll get to the conference schedule because that means that they lost to either Miami, Ohio, Bethune-Cookman, or Temple. And they had to lose to Texas A&M, which is obviously they're underdogs, but they're not big underdogs. So losing two of those games, I think, is much more unlikely than winning all four. I think winning all four is more likely. Especially if you consider that they would then have to... So let's look at their conference schedule. So for them to win five games, they play at Florida State, they're two touchdown underdogs. They play versus Clemson, they're 10-point underdogs. They play at North Carolina, they'll probably be small underdogs. They play at NC State, so I've now named the top four teams in odds. They play at home against Louisville, who's sixth in odds, and Miami's fifth. So they play all the top teams in conference. Is it plausible that they lose to North Carolina on the road, NC State on the road, Florida State on the road, and Clemson at home? There's your four losses. Is it plausible they do that, but they beat Bethune-Cookman, Miami of Ohio, Texas A&M, Temple? Yes. To me, that's almost chalk, right, that they do it. And obviously, none of it's chalk because odds are this bet just ends up a wash. Now, the flip side of that, if they do manage to go 5-3 and three in conference, that means they beat... You know, they, if you're only allowed three losses and they play Clemson and Florida State and at NC State and at North Carolina and they play Louisville, the other games are Georgia Tech, Virginia, and Boston College, which are easier, obviously. But that means they, they outperformed. And now you're telling me that they did that despite losing to Temple in the non-conference, that they lost to Miami, Ohio, and they would obviously have to lose Texas A&M as well to lose two of those. So I, I really like this bet. Again, under four and a half conference wins on Caesars at minus 130 for Miami and then over four and a half wins. You can get it plus 125 on a Canby book. If you don't have a Canby book, uh, I, I believe DraftKings is the next best odds at plus 120. So I think Miami is too volatile of a team to sort of pick one way or the other. I think from like an EV perspective, uh, 
or like gun to my head, probably the under four and a half, just looking at the schedule is pretty good. But they're more talented than North Carolina and they play Clemson at home. And honestly, they're more talented than Florida State, but they're two touchdown underdogs. So maybe they're not more talented than Louisville at home. Like those are all like NC State on the road. Like, like if Miami performs up to snuff and, and we've, and you know, we've seen them do it, not be the U or some bullshit like that. But, you know, in 2020, they went, seven and two in conference in uh 2017 they went seven and one in conference like they're volatile i guess that in 2021 they were five and three so they've cleared this number a lot of the times and they have a harder schedule than usual but they've they've cleared this number relatively often just looking back over the last few years uh the years they haven't cleared it 2018 they went four and four so like they you know this this is certainly a number that they clear a decent amount of time. And I don't think this is like a less talented. I think by recruiting standards, it's probably a more talented team. But I think that's the higher EV play. But I didn't want to take it because I do feel like they could rattle off through five wins. Anyway, that's sort of my pitch. Uh, Nick, what do you think? So it's interesting. Like, I'll obviously bet this because the upside is – I'm making what 1.75 units and the downside doesn't really seem to exist to me. Like some pretty, some pretty outlandish things would have to happen in order for this to, for neither side to hit. So I feel pretty like downside. It's a wash upside. I make some money. I don't really see why I wouldn't ride this with you. It'll be a fun thing for us to, to track throughout the season. But for my play, I'd like to give something that seems that's a little easier to bet on a little like more instant gratification. So I'll take something. There are a few things that you could count on every year. Like no matter what, every year on Thanksgiving, I'm going to fall asleep during the afternoon games, like too much time at home. You start drinking early in the day with family guaranteed every single year. You can guarantee that the chiefs will be making the playoffs as long as Patrick Mahomes is healthy and in a chief's Jersey. And Every single year, you can guarantee that the Ravens are going to go 4-0 in the preseason. And every year, I'm going to forget to bet it. But this year, thankfully, producer Hank sends me messages to remind me. And we are not going to miss betting on the Ravens preseason games this year. I will be treating them like they are real NFL games. I will be betting on the Ravens every single preseason game. And I don't know if you can tell me if that's EV or not, but I promise you, I end up walking away profitable. Uh, 23 straight preseason games is unprecedented. I don't know how the Ravens prepare for them. I will be betting them money line. I will be placing some open parlays and filling them with the Ravens money line the next week. I'll be betting this in as many ways as I can. And I can't wait for the Ravens to start playing preseason football. So you can promise me that you would have been profitable for sure. If you had done it over the last like, well, 23 games, right? Um, My question to you is, how baked in do you think this is going to be? And at what price are you saying? Yeah, and to answer your first question, I do think it'll be somewhat baked in, but... Really? Okay. What do you think they should be then against an average team? I don't know what the average preseason team is, but let's just say, you know, they play four games... They have an average schedule. Are, are they averaging minus, let's say they average minus 200 favorites. And you're saying you, you take them at minus 220 on average. 
Let's forget home away, all that. What do you think they should be on average? Minus 300? Minus 400? Like, what's your number? What's your number where you say, okay, this is a preseason game. I don't believe in the Ravens this much. Like, you know, I'm forced to take this other team. Or I'm forced to fade this. I'm not sure a number exists where I would take the other side. I think that I would like just not bet preseason football if I wasn't, if I didn't feel like I had somewhat of an edge. And I feel like even if they were minus 400, I would find a parlay where I felt like I was, they were just like a team getting thrown in. Um, And I was like, oh, I'll take a minus 400 to boost the odds on whatever else I'm actually trying to play. You can't can't possibly think that the Ravens or any team should be an 80%. Yes, if if they're minus 400, I'm probably not. I'm just not betting preseason football. If they're minus 300, I'm probably not betting preseason football. But (laughs) if I can find them at minus 200 or below, I'm – probably going to enjoy watching this Ravens team. It's also like, this isn't something I'm going to be betting on heavily. This is a, let's get back into football. I, I miss getting to bet on games. No, I get it. Ravens yeah. It's a good time. And just sort of ride the, the, like, it's fun to root for a team that's won 23 straight preseason games. It's gotta be one of the coolest stats you'll hear. Right. I mean, real NFL teams, that try to do that, basically, I don't know if they ever have, uh, I guess the the 72 Dolphins, I don't know if like the, I don't know how far into the 73 season they went, but I imagine it's either never been done or it's only been done once or twice where a team's won 23 straight games. Like, uh, what is it about the Ravens preseason? Because uh, I don't think that they play their starters a ton more than other teams do. I remember last year I was trying to figure that out. Like, I don't know what it is about them that makes them so good preseason-wise. I think it's just their emphasis on defense, their strong run game, and the fact that they've always had strong backup QB play. Like, they, a lot of teams don't necessarily have quarterbacks that fit the same exact style as their starting quarterback, but you have Tyler Huntley and Josh Johnson as two good running quarterbacks backing up Lamar Jackson, and they have a offense that's built around running the football smash mouth. Like when you're not playing the best units in def- in football on defense and they don't have that cohesion because they're the second, third units, guys trying to figure it out, just being able to run the ball all over them is probably a recipe for success, I guess. I guess. Yeah, no, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a fun stat. Like I'm definitely going to be tuning in just to see if they can – keep it going. I mean, statistically, it's highly improbable a team would ever do this without having real advantages in the preseason. So um, I'm, I'm very curious about where the lines will be set, and I'm just as curious how they'll do this year and going forward. Uh, so that'll be fun. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break, and then we will get to the Wheel of Sports. Hey guys, welcome back. Let's take a spin on the wheel of sports today and see what we're discussing. Today, our options are, is the Pac-12 potentially finished? Was Carly Lloyd too harsh? Who won the MLB trade deadline? Was Sean? What was Sean Payton thinking? And what is TPG's real name? Let's give it a spin. 
All right, our first topic, Sean Payton tore Nathaniel Hackett a new one. He said that Hackett's time in Denver might have been one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. That's how bad it was. Aaron Rodgers bounced back and called Sean Payton insecure. He said he thought it was way out of line, inappropriate, and think he needs to keep my coach's name out of his mouth. Do you think that Sean Payton went a little too far, or is this a head coach? Is this just normal banter between head coaches? Yeah, I, I kind of hate to be the the anti fun police here, but I thought it was ridiculous. What he like, you know, NFL coaches don't do this to each other. Uh, I thought that what Sean Payton said was completely out of line, basically blaming Nathaniel Hackett and in just such like clear terms and almost without exaggeration, he basically called it the worst coaching job ever, <laughs> and. I think it's just like not right to do to a fellow coach. I think that it sets like a weird pressure up on yourself and on the team where we're going to blame all of our problems on a guy that left. And he also blamed a few people that were still there, like in the front office and stuff. But I just thought it was inappropriate. I thought it doesn't do any good to the team and doesn't do any good to himself. Like I get he's trying to to boost Russell Wilson's confidence, but at the same time, and I, I mean, Sean Payton's done a great job in the NFL for a long time, so he knows better than I do. But you just don't see this happen. Most guys that come in try and say, like, everyone's got to be accountable for for what happened last year. And, you know, we got to turn this around by working harder, being smarter. I'll try and help that whole thing. Russell Wilson shouldn't need such a big confidence boost given how he's – I mean, he's likely a Hall of Famer. He's won Super Bowl. He's – I mean, he had all the confidence in the world heading into last year. So I don't know if this is a confidence issue, but maybe Sean Payton knows better than I do. I just thought it was really inappropriate. I mean, this is another man's livelihood. It's his career. And for you to just jump out and smack talk him out of nowhere like that. I'm with Rogers. Like, dude, keep it to yourself. Keep it. If you want to tell Russell Wilson that, hey, that wasn't your fault. That's that's all, you know, well and dandy. But I think that just to, to say that about a fellow coach who's, never done anything wrong like off the field like they you know it was just uncalled for i i get that it may have been a bit out of line from sean payton but i do think this might just be a really good coaching move from him he's taking all the pressure off of russell wilson and kind of giving him an excuse for last year was he a bit aggressive did do coaches in the nfl typically attack each other no yes it was a bit aggressive but the reason that we're talking about this today is Sean Payton. We're not talking about will Russell Wilson have a good back bounce back year or what happened to him last year. Is he an aging quarterback? We're talking about Sean Payton and the coaching job that happened in Denver last year. And I think that there's just no pressure on Russell Wilson. If this, if this whole thing in Denver goes badly, it'll be on Sean Payton and that'll be the headlines. It won't be Russell Wilson is bad. He's washed this and that. I think you're just clearing the way for your quarterback to play a pressure free season. So though it was a bit aggressive, I think this is just, he's playing chess while Nathaniel Hackett is playing really bad checkers. I like the really bad checkers. Uh, Yeah. I see that perspective. I do think that when, or I should say, if things start going south, people were already blaming Nathaniel Hackett. He's gone. Wilson's still there, right? Obviously, some people were blaming Wilson as well, but now there's no excuse on this season, and nobody's going to blame Sean Payton if this goes south. People will say, what's the common denominator? Wilson's washed. So I don't think anything that Payton says can really alleviate 
the pressure that's on Russell Wilson. I think it's there. I don't think it helps that Geno Smith had such a good year. And I don't think it helps that, you know, a lot of former players on Seattle were kind of relishing in this and that, you know, the whole, you know, Russell Wilson's whole tenure in Seattle starts to look a little bit different. You know, they won a Super Bowl behind one of the best defenses ever. And then they should have won another, but he threw that pick. So I think things are already sort of looking different for Russell Wilson and the pressure's on him. He's got a coach who's had all the success in the world. He's got a defense. He's got everything he could want. I don't know if Payton, you know, throwing shade at Nathaniel Hackett is going to help. I think it might just turn the heat up if they start to lose. And obviously, look, if things go well, then everything's great and Hackett would have gotten the blame anyway. So Yeah, I also think this might just be Sean Payton being like a classic old guy that like has had success in his career and now kind of feels like he can say whatever he wants. And like, yeah, typically NFL, it's it's a brotherhood. Most NFL coaches don't, there's 32 of them. They don't like take shots at each other very often with like no provocation, but this is Sean Payton and he's an old guy that's like feels comfortable just taking a shot at another at another coach. And I don't mind it. I most NFL coaches answers outside of Dan Campbell are so cookie cutter. I don't really mind Sean Payton adding some drama. Week five is going to be more fun now. Uh, it's I'm, I'm here for it. No, I agree. I mean, it's, it's cool for us. And by the way, Dan Campbell would never, but <laughs> it wasn't boring. That's for sure. And, and, uh, and I'm totally with Rodgers, though. Like he said, what you needed to say in that situation because the guy with real pressure and is the guy that's going to be on Hard Rock in the biggest media market in the country, if not the world, playing for the you know with Aaron Rodgers or coaching for Aaron Rodgers. That, that that's the guy with all the pressure on it after the disaster in Denver. So uh, I think that Rodgers needed to uplift his his coach who had just gotten completely cheap shotted, you know. Draymond Green, Jordan Poole style. So uh, anyway, uh, why don't we spin the wheel again? All right, let's give it a spin. All right, looks like we're talking college football realignment. Is this getting out of hand? We saw a report today that Oregon and Washington are expected to join the Big Ten sooner than later with Stanford and Cal rumored as potential teams to follow them. Uh, earlier this week, Colorado confirmed headed to the Big 12 with rumors of Arizona, Utah, and Arizona State to follow. Um, is, is this just getting ridiculous? Yeah, I think the Pac-12 is finished to answer the question. I think that I'm a little bummed about just I like the whole geographical nature of college football. Like I like all the Pac-12 teams out west and, you know, you have the – SEC teams in the South and ACC teams sort of lining up the coast from South up to, you know, like Pittsburgh and Syracuse and them. So, you know, this is, and you know, obviously the big tens in the Midwest and that whole thing. Right. Um, so I, I like it. I'm sad to see that this is all basically done and it's being changed for money. I think that conferences are going to, well, in some ways lose their importance. I guess in some ways it'll, it'll mean everything depending on who you are. Uh, I guess for starters, yeah, I think the Pac-12 is totally finished. I mean, once USC left, especially, look, the Pac-12 hasn't had a playoff team in, in how many years? 
And I don't know the last time they won a playoff game. It must have been when Oregon won with Mariota, right? And Chip Kelly, they won, they beat FSU, and then they lost in the championship. I think that's and that was a long time ago. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's it's been a long time since Pac-12 had true relevance, and that all the relevant teams are now, you know, once USC left, you know, the money's walking out the door, the relevance is walking out the door, so they're going to get scattered, seemingly mostly to the Big Ten. I'm very curious to see what follows. So the SEC and Big Ten clearly are going to be, and some will say they already have them, but it, it, I haven't viewed it in an extraordinarily exaggerated fashion. But because, you know, you've had other teams and conferences be very relevant and, and in the playoff and all that, even if the SEC especially has been the best, it hasn't been a disgusting lack of parity. Where We're now headed to that. Oklahoma and Texas moved to SEC the Big Ten's picking up USC and UCLA, and they're both sort of seemingly picking up more, although the, the SEC really is mostly rumored to, to be going after the ACC teams. So anyway, so now we have the two major conferences. The Big 12 kind of, in my opinion, landed on their feet okay. You know, they, they picked up uh, a few schools to replace Oklahoma and Texas. They're not going to be like this. They're not going to challenge the Big Ten and the SEC. Frankly, I'd be surprised if any team in the Big 12 won a championship or uh, I'll say won a, wins a championship in the next 10 years, I think that they'll get one to two teams a year in the 12-team playoff. I don't think that maybe that it'll get a pass that they have a guaranteed one, but I'm not sure that that will end up being the case just because of this conference realignment. So that leaves the ACC uh, as the sort of this fourth conference, and they're the trickiest one, in my opinion, because they have, I'll say three brands. You could maybe rope in North Carolina, but three brands that have shown a true potential to compete and win national championships. That's Clemson, Florida State, and Miami. They're also bigger brands. They're in the South, you know, all of that. So I think those three teams... And then North Carolina, I think, would get invited to the SEC or, you know, they have a place anywhere. Uh, their football team is certainly trending up and they're in a decent market and they have the basketball team and all that. I think, you know, I, I think the ACC called themselves like the Magnificent Seven or something. But it's, I, to me, it's like a big four with those four teams. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Obviously, if they rope in Notre Dame, which I doubt they will because they probably would have already. If they rope in Notre Dame, I think that they are a fully viable conference that'll have at least two teams a year in a 12-team playoff with the potential of three, I guess four, depending on the year. And they will, I'll say continue, but they'll have real chances to win playoff games and and compete for championships. I mean, just in the last, uh, since 2000, Clemson's won two, and I think they've been in another, and they've been a, a mainstay in the playoff up until basically last year. Florida State won a championship with Winston, and they made the playoff another year. Uh, Miami won the national championship in 01, and, and, and they made it uh, again in 02. So, you know, I, I think that those are – I'd be surprised if an ACC team didn't win a national championship in the next 10 years. Versus, so I think that they may be positioned a little bit better in the Big 12. But I guess the question for these three or four teams is, how can they possibly stay? I mean, Florida State's put the numbers out there where you are making significantly more money in the SEC 
or Big Ten versus staying in the ACC, and it's hard to compete. You look at Miami and Florida State, how are they supposed to compete with Florida? And over the last, basically, over any time stretch, they, they both have uh, competed with Florida. I mean, you take out the, the, two, the Tebow years. But it's going to be harder for them to do so at such a financial disadvantage. And, and really, just like while Florida's playing Oklahoma and Texas, Florida State's playing against Syracuse and Louisville. It's just not the same. So I think that that's what Florida State's really complaining about. That's what they're really looking at. It's just so expensive for them to get out of this, like, I think it runs for another 13 years, the ACC con- contract. Are they stuck? So I-, I think the ACC is the big variable here. Do those teams stay? Do they just bite the bullet and leave? Are they able to attract the Notre Dame or some other team to make them more interesting? I, I don't know the answer, but... Uh, I think that once that gets settled, you'll see either the Pittsburghs of the world stay relevant because they're in one of the, the three or four conferences that's relevant. Or if you lose those four teams to, let's say, the SEC and the Big Ten takes all the Pac-12 teams and whatever, everybody else is fighting for themselves, will this sort of middling Power Five program let's say the the pittsburgh's of the world or the georgia Techs, like are they just going to sort of behave more like group of five teams because they're not landing in one of these big conferences yeah i I mean it's interesting to see where this goes i i tend to agree with you it seems to be it's almost inevitable because of all the money that the bigger conferences have and i agree that it definitely sucks to not have it regionalized. It's nice to know that you'll get the Pac-12 games late at night. It's nice to like have a a genuine or like a general order to it. But I think to me, it just starts to get ridiculous where conference games don't even matter. If you're playing someone in your own conference once every four years, like how do rivalries really get formed? Like it already feels like... I, I went to Wisconsin. We play Michigan every two to three years. It doesn't feel like it's a, we're able. We've expanded to the point where like that is not something you expect to see every year. And as more and more teams join, is there really going to be a USC Wisconsin rivalry when we play every three or four years? It just it doesn't feel like these. It, it might end up reversing in a few years where you consolidate and all these conferences get. So, so much influx of money that people are attracted to it, but eventually it, it might be more beneficial to be the Pittsburgh and be the best team in a smaller division, especially if there's guaranteed playing spots and just be a brand that is one of the best teams year in year out and doesn't necessarily have to get cannibalized in the sec where every single one of the strong programs are currently residing in, in that potential future. For sure. Uh, so I guess the, to the first point you made, I think the rivalry thing, I actually think it'll be able to sustain itself okay because it's just going to become divisions, right? If you have 22 teams in the, or 24 teams, let's say, in the, in the Big Ten, there's just going to be like an East and a West, I would think which will sort of try and keep some sort of geographical nature to this uh, because I don't think you can have, let's say the Big Ten adds Miami and they're adding USC. Like, are you really going to have 
teams fly across the country for for conference matchups. Like that's ridiculous. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that you'll just have divisions where you play teams all the time, and then you have sort of the the cross divisional matchups, and you'll have less out of conference games. Like I'm sure they'll move to to nine game schedules. I, the Big Ten actually already moved to that. But I'm sure the SEC will move to that at some point if they if they continue to expand. Where Wisconsin's rivalry isn't with USC; they're on the other they're in the other half. Actually, you, you might get a Michigan to move over to your division, and you almost ignite that rivalry, right? Um, so I think that's where we land on this. But uh, I think to your point about Pittsburgh being the best team. I just think it'll be tough because if you're adding, if you're adding conference games and you have less non-conference games, how is Pittsburgh ever going to play a relevant game? And in this NIL transfer portal era, and Pittsburgh's just an example, and they've run a really good program. Honestly, I mean, really good might be a stretch, but they've run a good program over the last ten years. Let's say like Pat Narduzzi's done a good job of late and whatever. So, but they already lost Jordan Addison to USC because of NIL transfer portal stuff, like. Any kid that's worth anything isn't going to stay at Pittsburgh. He's going to transfer where he can get paid more at another school with NIL. The transfer portal will make it easy. He's going to be playing. It's going to be, you know, he's going to be playing on ABC and CBS and Fox every week as opposed to playing against, like, uh, you know, playing against Georgia Tech or playing against, you know, sort of these just irrelevant matchups that aren't on these big networks. They're on the ACC network instead. And it's harder to get to the NFL and you're not going to get paid as much. So how are they going to be able to compete with, let's say right now they view North Carolina and Miami and Florida State, maybe not Clemson, but let's say those three teams as peers and Miami and Florida State beat them more years than they don't. Let's say they, they win they each beat them like seven out of 10 times. How does that not become nine out of ten when if Miami and Florida State are in the SEC or the Big Ten, they're they're just playing bigger games, they're getting bigger recruits, they're taking Pitt's best players through the transfer portal. Like it's just it makes it so much harder to compete. Where right now Pittsburgh is playing on ABC when they play against Clemson and they and they are in a conference with a, a reasonable shot at the playoff. Like, you know, all of these things. It's already hard for them, but I think it gets so much harder where you're not going to see the same Pittsburgh program that you that you have seen the last, whatever, 10 years. Yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. And it's going to make it tougher for small teams to stay relevant at first, for sure. Uh, but hopefully it ends up balancing out. Um, I think the biggest variable here is probably just guaranteed playoff spots and where that lands. Yeah. And if conferences have guaranteed playoff spots, because then – that does somewhat keep a level of competitive balance, at least at the top of weaker conferences. Yeah, that's true. I guess the, the one fun fact I'll add, since we're talking about Pittsburgh, which again, is just sort of a random example. Uh, think about the players that they've had over the last however many years, like Michelle McCoy, Darrell Revis, Aaron Donald, Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, I know I'm missing guys. I mean, obviously Dan Marino, if you go back enough, like, I mean, Kenny Pickett, if you think recently, those guys would have left. They would have transferred out after they had good season. Like they wouldn't have stuck around. So I think I think it'll be difficult. But uh, okay, great. Let's go to grind my gears, and then we'll call it a day. Yeah, what's got you fired up this week? You know what really grinds my gears? 
Prize Picks has me fired up this week in a negative way. I've mentioned it here before. Many of you in Discord, and uh, there are Prize Picks plays. Uh, I try not to talk about them too much, just for keeping them up and stuff. But uh, we have a guy doing them for us in the Discord, and he's done a really great job. But he had two plays last week or this past week that included a soccer line where Prize Picks retroactively not not after the game. It was not as bad as points bet. But after 12 hours or so, they decided that these picks were set at wrong prices. And it wasn't as egregious as like a Tyus Jones, oh, we added a zero type thing. It wasn't blatant. It was uh, half a shot on target instead of one and a half. And odds wise, that's very significant. Very significant. But to me, it's not, you know, slap you in the face. Like this is clearly the worst mistake made in the world type thing. It's not having an over under at 60 and a half instead of 16 and a half or six and a half, right? It's it's just they were too low on a guy. And you so so he would he picked their over half a shot on target. They DMP'd it and then reset it at one and a half. So any basically they voided, you know, any play that you had with them. And I think that that why does it grind my gears? Grinds my gears because I hate, as a gambler, feeling like I have no control. And when I say control, I mean everything is at the book's discretion. They can go in and DMP a line. Like, what if it just moved in the guy's favor? Maybe in this case, it felt like, yeah, they were off by a shot on target or half a shot on target. But that that doesn't feel stupidly obvious. It doesn't make a mistake. It doesn't feel like they missed info. seems like they were just too low on a guy. So where does it stop? This is already you know, to me, pretty ridiculous. But where does it stop? Does it stop at, oh, you know, this guy, Tyus Jones, is now starting and John Morant, because John Morant got announced out. And if you had his over 11 and a half points and now his over under is 21 and a half points, we're going to, we're going to DMP it. Like what's going to, what's stopping them from doing that? They have no evidence they, or they haven't brought forth any, they didn't say any more than DMP. They just changed it in the slip. So to me, this is almost getting out of hand with, with sports books. I mean, not the prize picks of the sports book, but with, but with them doing this kind of stuff, uh, I hated it from points bet. I don't love the way bet 365 does it, although I think it's better. I think this is closer to the way bet 365 operates, except for the fact that usually when bet 365 does it, they say, Hey, this was a clear pricing error. They can show at that time where other places were and all that. And like, to me, it's just sort of, Gradually or not so gradually, books are getting more confident. Maybe because, and again, price fix is in sports book, whatever. Uh, maybe because points bet didn't get punished, other than they like literally went under, but they were probably already going under. They didn't get punished, and now these books are just feeling more and more confident to do stuff like this. And I think it's one of the worst things you could do. It's better to be done before a game, but who knows? Maybe the next time they do it after. Like I, I just. I worry that books feel like they can do this. I, I hate that Price Picks did it this past week, and I think that it's something that more people should pay attention to and call out. And I'm hoping to have some kind of article or just you know say more about it at some point. Maybe I'll just keep trying to hammer it home. Obviously, these grinds my gears haven't changed a whole lot. Like the SGP rounded stuff is still there, and it pisses me off every time. But I hope people listen. I hope people complain. Price Picks should have to answer at least 
to, as to why they're doing this. And it's frustrating when you're kind of feeling helpless as a gambler in terms of not having all the information, not knowing when your plays are going to get DMP'd versus not, and feeling like, oh, I made a good pick. I found a play that either later moved in my favor or was advantageous for me. It wasn't a glitch. It wasn't a it wasn't a typo. It wasn't anything like that. Just, oh, yeah, I found a, I found a pretty good play. I still have to parlay it because it's prize picks. And they still, they're just voiding it. They're like, no, this guy DMP'd, except for we're re-offering it at a, at a higher price. Like, what? It's not a DMP there, <laughs> right? It's just you saying you don't like the price that you gave it to us at. And that's, that's Grind My Gears material. Yeah, and it's if they didn't repost it, I would almost begin to understand if they if there was something wrong with the bet where like new information came out. I mean, still, I think if a book offers something, they should be able to stand behind it. So, yeah, it's pretty annoying for them to just relist it and say we priced it poorly. We don't like we can't stand behind what we originally thought. And those of you that were able to spot the error and try and take advantage of a line that for once was in your favor, sorry, no action for you. Uh, yeah, just doesn't feel right. It grinds my gears, as we say. Anyway, Nick, thank you so much. Appreciate everyone adjusting to the earlier schedule. And uh, please rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Hippie Chew is a fun one. We'll see you next week. See you, buddy.